Hello and welcome back to This Fat Can at Christmas with Jeanette Thompson-Wesson. I know that I said that I go straight on to doing my New Year's episode, but actually I realise I have so much more to say about Christmas and around Christmas time that I thought it would be a good idea to do almost like a part two of my, I suppose, mini-series of, you know, Christmas and New Year's. And what I have been kind of mulling over in my head is how diet culture and Christmas kind of run alongside of each other. I know that sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? That they run alongside each other. And the reason why I'm thinking that is because I really wanted to talk you through my experience of becoming an intuitive eater and then and Christmas as well. And over the years, what I've found with Christmas is that Christmas has become far less about the food and it's become much more about the memories and being present and things that I do with the people that I love and those were there anyway I enjoyed those things anyway and those meant a lot to me anyway but now because food isn't as much of a thing I find that actually I don't have to spend so much time thinking about food and what I'm going to eat what I want to eat and thinking about that all the cheese that I want to have in the house and all the mince pies and I'll tell you what I used to be a mince pie person I still like mince pies but on the 1st of December I would have you know packets of mince pies around the house and I wouldn't just have one or two or three sometimes four mince pies maybe more in one day. And it, for me, it was just a, yes, I love a mince pie. And I remember those days when I was dieting and when I was dieting, it was very much, okay, I'm going to go as long as I can and then I'm going to get to Christmas Eve and then I'm going to go all out. And it just turned into a binge fest. And I'd spend the, between Christmas Eve and New Year's Day, just full. So, feeling so sick. And feeling so horrible about myself because I felt so ill with the amount of food. Not necessarily the kinds of food, but the amount of food that I was putting into my body. Just felt like a constant binge. Which was why I think it was so such a strong pull for me to start the next year with a, you know, new year, new me kind of thing. But now, food just isn't, it doesn't have that kind of power. I will still wait. I'm not eating mince pies all throughout the year. I will wait until December to have my mince pies and I'll still look forward to them. But I am on my, I think, second packet of of six in December. Just because I'm just having one when I really want to have one, or sometimes two when I really want to have them. And I'm really enjoying those ones and I'm not needing to go all out now when I first started becoming an intuitive eater like December was like right I'm gonna have all the mint I'm gonna lean into this I'm gonna have all the mince pies I'm gonna have all the chocolate I'm gonna have all of this but it wasn't in a binge way it was in a way of going I'm just gonna give myself that unconditional permission to eat if I want some chocolate I'm gonna have some chocolate rather than I'm gonna stuff my face with chocolate (laughs) until I feel so sick there's the big difference with intuitive eating so we don't do that It's not that it's not allowed. There's no rules of that kind of thing. It's just that I know that my body doesn't feel great. It doesn't feel good when I do that. So I don't like to do that because it doesn't feel good in my body. And intuitive eating is about finding a way of eating that serves you, that actually feels okay for you, feels okay in your body. And food isn't one of those things that just takes over. And 
now I've been doing intuitive eating for good few years now good while we've more than a few years now as I said food just isn't a thing and this is why I think diet culture comes in with Christmas and we know Christmas for those of us who aren't religious or don't celebrate Christmas for religious reasons Christmas is consumerism right Christmas is capitalism if it's consumerism, capitalism, it's also feeding into white supremacy, movements into there, and we know that diet culture comes into that. It is all intermingled into that. Christmas for diet culture is their warm-up to their busiest time of the year. And remember when I said, and I'm sure you can relate to this as well, having a December, and it doesn't matter when it starts for you, if you're someone who restricts and who diets right now, or if you're someone who is an intuitive eater yourself, you'll probably recognise yourself in, in that same thing that I said about, you know, having feeling like you're on a constant binge. Just allowing yourself to have those things again and again and again. Um, and until you're sick, because you wouldn't be able to allow yourself to have those any other time of the year, like Christmas, December is the time when you can go all out. So diet culture comes into that because there are points in December, you know, that is all individual for me. When I was dieting, that used to be, I would be on plan in inverted commas until Christmas Eve. And then after that, I would go wild with my food. And that's what it felt like. It felt like I was going wild with my food. Very disordered eating, and if you think of it really in that way. And if you're waiting until a certain point in December and then also going wild with food, diet culture wants you to do that. Diet culture is counting on you to do that. And it's normal. When we have been restricting food for such a long time, it is normal that we end up doing this kind of rebound eating. If we're restricting ourselves from all these things that we want to have and our body needs as well, then as soon as we start eating those things, our body is going to be like, oh my God, yes, I needed this nourishment. I needed this energy. And it's going to give you all those signals to be like, just keep on feeding me. Keep on feeding me. Please give me that food because you have been, haven't been eating enough this whole time I've been trying to tell you that we're hungry but you haven't been listening to me because of dieting so December is that warm-up time for diet culture which means it is diet culture right we go into our December we feel like we're going wild with our food and then we get to the other side and we feel sick our bodies don't feel good our bodies feel really quite awful because we have been eating so many things and eating in, in a way that doesn't make us feel good. We haven't been listening to our hunger signals really because actually we've been going to the stage of being really, 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 really full multiple times a day every day. And diet culture wants you to get to that place. Diet culture will then in January be like, well, not even, in, I keep on seeing so many diets, like diet like ads right now, like being thrusted into our faces in the midst of all the Christmas stuff as well, um, which I find quite funny. It's just like, okay, thank you, diet culture. Calm down, calm down. But January, these diets are waiting. They are waiting to just literally spring on you 1st of January, 2nd of January. 
they're there and they're waiting for us in our vulnerable moments in our bodies when we are not feeling good in ourselves we're feeling bloated we're feeling heavy we're probably feeling ashamed about the choices that we made about um our eating throughout the whole of the christmas period and they feast off of that they kind of pop a straw in sip at it and go yes you're you're now ready for your annual try of that diet aren't you and here's here's a range for you to to try again one of them's got to be right one of them's got to work that's what we always think if a diet was going to work because diets all diets including calorie counting and I know that people try and separate calorie counting out from a diet all of that stuff is all restriction your body body does not know you know what the difference is really between like keto calorie counting weight watchers slimming world but your body does recognize restriction if restriction hasn't worked for you no matter what the diet is called restriction probably is never going to work for you and hearing that is probably quite difficult because there comes a whole load of grief and grief about what our body could have looked like if we could have stuck to this grief of that thin body that either we used to have or we have wanted to have the whole of our lives. Grief for that hope, for that promise that diet culture gives us of if we are thin, we will absolutely be healthy. They They have no place in telling us that that is a guarantee, but it's sold to us as if it is a guarantee. So I know this is a biggie, there's a big thing to think about. And if you're listening to this and finding this hard, then I'm sending you the biggest hugs because that grief is awful. It is really awful. Please talk about it to your nearest and dearest who hopefully understand, listen to you and give you a nice big hug on my behalf. If that's something that you enjoy when you need comforting. So it's just something I've been going on in my head, just thinking about how how that happens because I think with intuitive eating, we still enjoy our food. Like one big part of intuitive eating is to be able to really learn about what foods are actually really pleasurable to us, well, things that we actually really enjoy, not the things we tell ourselves that we enjoy. You know, like, um, I don't know if any of you have had this, like Weetabix cake. I remember telling myself that Weetabix cake on Slimming World was the best thing ever. It was delicious. I have not eaten a Weetabix cake since I did Slimming World. And I will never eat a Weetabix cake ever again. I did not enjoy it. I don't like it. No, I know what I really enjoy now. And that's a carrot cake. I really enjoy a carrot cake. If that's what I'm going to have and I'm going to enjoy a cake, it's going to be a carrot cake with like the amazing cream cheese topping. Oh my God, I might have to go and get some of that very, very soon. <laughs> and the other things I wanted to talk about today was, I was thinking about as a fat futurist, it's what I kind of, I think of myself as a fat activist in some ways. I'm totally a fat liberationist, but now I'm leaning more towards being um, a fat futurist. And a fat futurist is someone who really has fat futures at heart, as in not just our individual fat futures, but as a community, as a collective, our fat futures. And if you think about what the policies are at, you know, systemic level and society wants to have at the moment, they want to ideally eradicate fatness and fat people completely off the face of this earth. 
I don't believe that it's ever going to happen. If it was going to happen, it, it would have happened by now. It, it just would have happened by now. Um, it's quite funny if you have a look at the these these graphs that tell us um, if we carry on increasing in weight as as globally then we're going to have this percentage of people and at, at some stage those charts go actually we're going to have 120 percent of people who are in fat bodies and you just have to laugh at those kinds of um data and that statistics it's sloppy how can you have 120 percent of the population being in fat bodies like what's going on there and actually our weight, if I talk about just the UK, because my knowledge is mainly obviously based in the UK, our weight collectively, if we do an average, hasn't changed in any significant way over um, the past 10 years. So no matter how many policies the UK, you know, the anti-fat policies, you know, I don't want to use the O word, but those kind of policies they have put it into place over the past 10 years has not has had an impact but yet we haven't had a massive increase like people say you know oh it's an epidemic oh it's so awful um that's not happening there's no only a reason why people keep on coming back to an epidemic and that is because we have weight loss drugs that are on the scene right now is because they want us to do weight loss surgeries and weight loss surgeries are something that makes a whole load of people a whole load of money let's face it weight loss drugs exactly the same it's making a whole load of people very 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 rich unfortunately being a fat activist means i'm the opposite i'm not very rich at all and my morals would never allow me to work and do that kind of thing anyway just find it funny the opposite sides of the spectrum as a fat futurist the 12 days of Christmas that society could give to me that would make me happy as a fat futurist. Um, The 12 days of Christmas society gave to me. I'm never going to sing again. I'm so sorry to that. Um, So yeah, the first thing I thought about was actually a truly size-inclusive pair of jeans. Oh my goodness, it takes me about three months to find my ideal pair of jeans because number one, I don't have enough money to just buy five, six, seven, eight pairs of jeans from one shop, have them sent to me, return them all and wait for that money to go back onto my card. And I will not use that Klarna stuff because I potentially have ADHD. And is there a way I'm going to remember that? No, I will just end up with more debt I would like to have truly size inclusive pairs of jeans that are available to me, not just from one shop, but from a variety of shops. And I don't want to have to go online just to buy them. I want to be able to go into a shop. I want to be able to go in and try some stuff. I haven't been able to go in to a shop since I um, did my last Slimming World. And oh my God, the absolute novelty of being able to walk into Dorothy Perkins and buy myself a pair of jeans. Oh my goodness. It was pretty amazing to do that. The 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 thin privilege was immense. Obviously I lost that thin privilege very, very quickly, but there we go. I would also like to see diet companies be honest. 
this is my second day of Christmas. I want diet companies to be honest. And here's the thing, I don't actually want to see the, you know, ideally I would love to see the end of diets completely. I would love to see that they just don't exist and people aren't making money out of people through dieting now. But I also believe in body autonomy. I believe that every single person should be able to make their own decisions about their body. And that's important. That's so important to every single one of us to be able to make our own decisions. The thing is, is the informed informed side of things. So I want diet companies to be upfront about dieting, about the side effects of dieting. Actually being able to tell someone, you know, yes, I'd love you to do my diet, but um, actually you're more likely to actually end up putting on weight than losing weight overall. And my diet, um, I have no, I have no evidence that um, the weight loss that you actually have for the first six months is actually going to last any long amount of time. And I don't mean just five years, I mean expanding longer than five years. Being able to say to someone that actually my diet could cause gallstone issues, you know, gallbladder problems, that's a really, that's kind of an important one. What if diet diet companies were actually up front? I, I'd still believe that people would go and on the diet, but at least people would have the right information up front first. So I'd love that. Day three would be, I'd love to see weight loss surgery and drugs, weight loss drugs, be made completely illegal. I think in the future, weight loss surgery is going to be seen as something just so disgusting. I think it's going to be seen as barbaric. And I don't think that it's going to take long to get to that stage. We're finding out more and more and more about weight loss surgeries because there are more people who are doing weight loss surgeries. And it's important to note that that's, you know, very similar with the weight loss drugs. We're finding out more and more about these weight loss drugs. And I'm not saying that they should be made illegal for people who need them for diabetes. Very different. I'm talking about the dose for weight loss drugs, specifically. Number four, I would love the world to be free from gym bros telling me that I'm going to die just because they have seen me and I'm fat. And they assume that their lifestyles are actually far more better. And also their lives are far more important than me because I am fat and they are thin. I'd love to see those kind, that kind of person. Just not be that kind of person anymore. That would be quite wonderful. Representation in the media. I think that's, that just speaks for itself. It's something that we're all missing as fat people. Just want more fat people to be seen. And just seen as being, like, existing. And I don't know if you've heard. So my next one is that um, I'd love to see size discrimination be illegal. And at the moment, it's, it's completely illegal. You can be um, fired in your workplace just because of your size. And that's really gross. As fat people, we're less likely to earn the same as someone who is doing the same job in a smaller body because of that stereotype and that assumption of we're lazy, we're greedy, we don't do a lot, we just sit around all day. Remembering the caveat is there's nothing wrong about having to sit around all day. 
Society-wise, they moralise that kind of thing, which is just disgusting and ableist and healthiest and gross. But, you know, it shouldn't, it should be illegal. And I know that the NAAFA in America is slowly working through their states to make it illegal. And maybe one day we will see that in the UK, which would be pretty amazing. I would love to see exercise spaces become fully funded. I know it sounds wild, but isn't it so important to be able to lift up every ba- every person's barrier to being able to do a healthy behaviour if it is accessible to them? And if we know that finances are one of the things that is in the way of exercise movement being accessible to somebody, then why can't we just remove that barrier completely? Allow people to have access to movement and exercise that feels good for them, but not only that, make it inclusive, truly inclusive. I'm not just talking about fatness, I'm talking about all intersections here. Imagine exercise, movement spaces being fully inclusive to people who are disabled but want to access and can access you know, exercise and movement that works for them. Knowing that, obviously, exercise and movement isn't something you have to do morally to be a good person. We don't have to do that. Access to weight stigma-free medical health care. Basically, we need more ashes in the world. The Fat Doctor UK, if you do not follow him, you've got to go and follow him right now. We need more of him around We need more seats in public transport and in restaurants and just basically anywhere that isn't our house. Like theatres would be really nice, cinemas, that kind of thing. To be able to sit in these places and be able to thrive. And this is important because this also goes hand in hand with transport and work and also oppression. People who are taking buses are people who may or may not be able to afford a car. And if we have buses that are not fully inclusive to people who are fat, that meaning that fat people can't get to work because of that. We're oppressing people once again. And that's not, we shouldn't be using transport, shouldn't be using those essential things we need to oppress people. Just need bigger seats. Capitalism, capitalising once again, by making seats as small as possible to be able to get as many people as possible into that space and make as much money as possible. It's crazy. Going into the more deeper side of things, because I know you've heard about all of those, I wanted to talk more about being... um, I want to see... I don't know if you've experienced this before. I want you to see... No, I want to see... Hyper-visibility and hyper-invisibility to be ended completely for fat people. And that's systemic... I'm not sure how that would be got rid of, but I'd love to see it got rid of. So what I mean by that is, so being hyper-visible. Being hyper-visible is going into somewhere and being the biggest person there. And then having to order some food because that's what you've gone out there for. You've gone to a restaurant, for example. You're the biggest person there and you need to order some food. And you're really, really aware that you are hyper-visible in that moment when making that food choice. And no matter how many thin people in this space go, oh, don't worry about it. Not, you know, there are, everyone's getting, going around their own business. But when there's a fat person, there's always going to be someone judging. And that's where you are hyper visible. 
it is just something that we experience, but we can also be hyper invisible at the same time. Because we are fat, we are deemed as not part of the beauty standard. We can't meet beauty standards because we are not also the thin ideal. You have to be the thin ideal and meet beauty standards to have the two together, to be an attractive, worthy human being. For a lot of people, we're talking about the patriarchy here as well, the male gaze. So being hyper-invisible is experiencing that moment where actually people won't talk to you because you are fat. And because you don't meet the male gaze automatically because you're fat, that is that hyper-invisibility that we experience. So we can experience both of those at the same time and just in different situations. We could be in that restaurant feeling hyper-visible because we're just about to make a food decision for our on our menus but then hyper invisible at the same time because we we just we don't meet that male gaze and nor should we meet the male gaze we are more than that but i want to see that ended the next thing i'd love to see ended are the you know i'd love to see scientific studies actually be inclusive of all intersections because the majority of studies let's face it, are A, white, B, men. Those are what the main cohorts go by. Not all of them, obviously, I'm not saying all of them, but the majority are white populations and male populations. Not 100% of the world are white and male. And that's important. We need science that reflects the intersections that we have existing in the world right now. But also more specifically, thinking about fatness, I would love to see the impact of oppression and specifically weight stigma on a person's life experience and therefore their weight. I would love to see that taken into account because it is not taken into account right now. And lastly, relates to fertility. And it's really important as a fat futurist to think about you know, what's going on with that? Because we've got a lot of eugenics, let's face it. We've got eugenics going on in um, fertility for fat people at the moment. If someone is trying to fall pregnant and cannot fall pregnant for whatever reason, and it's never down to weight. This is really important. It's never down to weight. But doctors say it is down to weight. And because you don't meet a certain BMI, you won't be able to get fertility treatment on the NHS. So if you are financially privileged enough, you may be able to find private care in the UK. But even then, that has weight, weight, um, like weight limits as well. So a lot of people have to go abroad to do that. You have to be incredibly privileged financially to be able to afford that. So in a way, that is trying to get rid of us fat people as much as possible even down to egg donation and sperm donation you are not allowed to donate eggs as an anonymous donor and the same with sperm donation if you're above a certain BMI and the first thing they will tell us is because the procedure is so unsafe it's so unsafe for someone of that weight and we know that's rubbish it is rubbish There's a lot of science to show how rubbish that is. But the next thing they will say is because it's not ethical to allow someone who is over a certain BMI to donate basically their DNA because 
our fatness is probably genetic, very, very likely to be genetic. And why would we pass down something that is so disgusting to society to someone else, to allow someone else to be fat again? Knowing that all we have in science are assumptions. We don't have a causal reason, causality, to actually say that being fat causes ill health. No science, no science evidence out there says that. Yet we are not allowed to reproduce. We are not allowed to donate our eggs. We're not allowed to donate our sperm. Because why would we want to allow more fat people roam this earth? And that's quite gross. So we went a bit self there, didn't we? With how deep that went. I hope I've given you some stuff to think about today and stuff to mull over. I would really, really love to hear what you think about these things as well. I mean, what would you add to your 12 days of Christmas that society could give to us as fat people? You know, it could happen. We want that to happen. What changes would you like to see? And on top of that, I am running in January. If you are one of these people that I was talking about at the beginning of this podcast, you do not want to diet again in 2024. You do not want that as your resolution. But I can give you a better resolution. How about 2024, your New Year's resolution being in the photo? Being able to be in the photo, feel empowered to be in the photo, be able to see yourself in a way that you're actually okay with seeing yourself in the photo. What if that could happen? And what if I could help you kickstart that? I am running a free two-week challenge where you're going to use your phone to take photos of yourself and we're going to journal, we're going to have some support running there. I'm going to be asking you questions as part of this group as well to be able to help you kickstart your 2024 year of fat acceptance. All for free for two weeks starting the 2nd of January. If you would like to join me, which I hope you do join me because it is going to be wonderful. Only for fat people. So it'd be a fat exclusive community and the healing that is in fat community is absolutely incredible if you would love to join me in january please do um, find my this fat can take photos my free challenge on my website or in the link in my show notes but other than that my next podcast will actually be the new year's one okay I promise you it's going to be the new year's one it's not going to be another Christmas one but I will see you then I hope you've enjoyed this I've been Jeanette Thompson-Wesson the mindset nutritionist and I'll see you in the next podcast bye